Who's this? Oh, you're an entrepreneur? Oh, you're a real estate investor. Oh, you're trying to learn from those who did it. Well, come into the lab then. Put your white coat on, gloves on, notepad, and let's build y'all. Real estate experiment, what is happening y'all today? I have the pleasure of having my good friend Mike Begg across and when i say good friend it's just what a time to be alive virtual connections you're dialing all the way from mexico is that correct i am ruben thank you for having me here uh oh, yeah man. i'm calling in from guadalajara so that's beautiful man well i have to check that out as well that's i mean obviously my my travel bucket list has kind of come to a halt at the time but <laughs> when when things when the smoke clears i'll definitely uh put that on my list as well man so so what's happening man pleasure to come into the lab but we we're just talking about this off the air and i said we got to get it on the air right away because <laughs> i always love it when we got you know we got a business uh, one who understands business and you have an interesting connection to real estate which is definitely what we're going to start with uh but as right. far as like, sometimes i just like to ask on the fly man like you are obviously running a really really cool operation as uh, i believe co-founder am i correct yes i am and what you call it, I want to make sure I say it, because I don't know if it's AMZ for sure, is it Amazon? How did you guys, I, we're going to talk about the trademark in a little bit. So what do you, what do you call your, your company to give, uh, to level set so we can kind of give you the right introduction that you deserve? We go by AMZ uh, just to avoid any potential issues, uh, but Absolutely. it frequently gets interpreted as Amazon. <laughs> See what I did there protected you. I was looking out for you. So co-founder <laughs> AMZ, um, and it's, it's fascinating, AMZ Advisors. And uh, your story is fascinating. I want to tie it to real estate. But before we do that, I believe you are, your business is a reflection of who you are. So Mike, what gets you out of bed? We're going to reverse engineer how you got to where you got today. But like, what gets you going, man? Uh, man, I, I think what just gets me excited the most is just building new things. Um, you know, I'm building my own business with my two partners, but Every day I'm helping all my clients build their own businesses in the e-commerce space. So, you know, it's just fun seeing the results, trying new things, testing things, seeing what the result, uh, you know, what happens, what changes, and then just kind of growing from there. And that's what, that's really what I enjoy doing. Absolutely. I'm just looking at my screen here because I got two monitors. So if you're listening to this, I'm just coming, I'm coming to you live for some gems. So Mike obviously is being a little, you know, on the you know humble side, but Mike's doing some really interesting things. And I want to make sure I read this correctly because you co-founded AMZ Advisors, right? And you have two yep. partners, which you just mentioned. You have a growing team. And that's probably the reason why you went out there aside from the girlfriend being in Mexico, but <laughs> you're able to scale out there, which is fantastic. And I mean, you're what you're, you're literally managing over $10 million per year in ad spent, which is crazy because I can say I've only spent around six figures a month and I cannot, the millions, I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> and then a hundred million dollars per year in Amazon sales. So let that sink in guys, but let's take a step back into how we even got there. Mm-hmm. You had an interesting connection with, you know, commercial real estate, uh, a household name. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that, that connection? I want to see how you were able to kind of make that jump into uh, the company that you co-founded. Yeah. So there definitely is an interesting connection there. Um, as you mentioned, I was working commercial real estate. I was working for Sears, which was a, you know, the former retailer, I guess we'll call it that. Um, I think it's still on life support somewhere. I'm not sure, but, uh, yeah, I was working there in the uh, real estate department doing real estate development and actually joined when Sears was doing the, uh, Seritage REIT spinoff. So that was my first project was underwriting that. And then I stayed on, did a lot of real estate development from there. Um, you know, it was a tough time. Sears was struggling as a company. We were trying to figure out what to do with the assets, try to monetize them the best way we could. 
which is why we were looking at redevelopment opportunities or, you know, selling off assets where we could. And there were just a lot of interesting things that I was seeing in a lot of the deals that I was doing and a lot of the interest that, that I was getting. And also I was learning a lot from the retail side of Sears and actually seeing what was happening in these retail stores uh, year over year, how foot traffic was falling, how sales were falling and all these things. And it kind of made me start realizing that e-commerce was what was coming. So that's kind of how I jumped into the e-commerce space. It wasn't that, you know, that quick or that smooth, but yeah. that was more of the real estate background and kind of how I, I started going in that direction. Okay. I'm going to hold you up because you said some key gems that I love. So obviously okay. now you're in the lab. So the lab is all about being an experimenter, a practitioner. Okay. And what I just heard is key because you were in an environment where you saw something and you got a little bit deep and educated on it. And that's why I always give, uh, you know, a lot of the entrepreneurs, there's maybe they're side entrepreneurs or they're learning. They're like, oh man, I got my job, but there's always some piece of data that you can take. Like I come out from the corporate world as well, but I have a company and I'm looking at their system. So I'm like agile certified. So I'm like, I take that. And I'm like, we're going to run agile. We're going to have scrum meetings every day. We're going to do the exact same thing. These corporations do because it's data that I can use. And you correct me if I'm wrong, but you saw something there, which I honestly, I'm fascinated because I haven't, we've we've never had a retail guy (laughs) on the real estate development. So I'm excited to tap into that so people can kind of see your day to day. So let's get into that. But I really want to just tip my hat towards you for seeing something in your day to day job. And then instead of just maybe sitting around and, and complaining, you're, you're literally taking in data so that you can take it into your own lab. I mean, excuse me for paraphrasing, but I had to put it that way, man. That's what you did, right? Am I correct? Yeah. No, I mean, that's a good way to put it. I, I think yeah. on the day-to-day, I was just analyzing different properties, you know, a lot of the boring stuff that comes with real estate, reading leases, reading contracts, all that nonsense, operating agreements, whatever it mm-hmm. may be. But every once in a while, you see an interesting deal come across or, you know, an interesting tenant reach out to you and you're kind of like, huh, like, why, why is that? And a lot of these instances were, you know, a mall, Sears, for example, has, uh, you know, has a big box at an uh, end cap in a mall. And we're looking at ways of redeveloping that. So we'd have food, food retailers or uh, small shop retailers come in and reach out to us and say, hey, like, we'd be interested in renting space. So one way we started seeing that, first of all, big box retail isn't really needed anymore, uh, or at least in the mall sense. I mean, I know Walmart, Target, they're still going to be around. But in the mall sense, having everything in a Sears store didn't really make sense. So a lot of times we were knocking them down, repurposing them for smaller retailers. So I think that was one trend that I started seeing is that smaller and smaller retailers are going to be, you know, coming into the space more, whether it be food, whether it be, you know, a physical good, whatever it was. And that was one interesting thing that I started taking out of that, seeing that there was more demand for this type of space for smaller businesses. And I think in general, there was a better, uh, bigger sentiment around consumers to support small businesses as well. So I think that's kind of one thing that I started seeing. And then I saw some really interesting big transactions uh, or inquiries, I would say, uh, particularly involving companies like Amazon, like FedEx, and seeing what was happening in that space. So, uh, you know, we had some pretty, pretty good offers uh, from those types of companies to buy some of Sears distribution centers so they could actually distribute more inventory. We also wow. saw some other, yeah, that was an interesting one. We also, this one's even better. We also saw some other transactions where Amazon was coming in and buying C and D malls and redeveloping the malls into fulfillment centers. 
Can you, so, can you, what's CND? Can you give uh, yeah. us some context so we understand? Yeah. So, uh, it's just the way we think of like what a good quality mall is to like a bad quality mall. So let's oh, okay. say, so we're talking asset, like a uh, uh, asset class. Exactly. Yeah. So C and D like obviously poor, I mean, D everything's probably closed already. C it's probably trending in that direction. Mm. And yeah, we had Amazon come in and look to buy a few malls that we were at that were D malls. Um, so we saw some interesting stuff happening in that space and that's kind of when I started paying more attention to it. Luckily, I had two business partners as well, uh, or my two partners now, uh, that were also interested in e-commerce and kind of what we, what I was seeing combined with what they were learning in e-commerce really kind of pushed us in that direction. Oh, okay. Okay. This is getting too good. Okay, cool. Slow down for a second. Let's take a step back, Mike. So, <laughs> okay. Partners, were they also at Sears? Because that would be like a, no, like that'd be like a <laughs> the takeover, like, ah, oh, rebellion. Okay. That'd be interesting. Okay. So we level set, but give us some context a little bit too. Cause I think the timing is interesting uh, because we're, if you're listening to this now, we're March 1st, we saved mm-hmm. this day for Mike to come in on March, March 1st to kick us uh, to, to finish off the first quarter, March 1st, 2021. When did you start seeing this transition at what time period? Uh, or, or I guess what, just take us back to when, when that was, when you were working at Sears, when was that? Uh, 2014, 2015. Okay. When I was there. That's, that's so, interesting. That gives us some context. And, yeah. and uh, where I'm going with this, I want to take a step back because you said the boring stuff, but I, I think in 2014, this is interesting where you're already seeing these, these, these small retailers, but can I ask, I want to ask a question. Why do you think that was that these big malls were more, you know, more, uh, I guess, preferential to, uh, or I guess more ideal for smaller retailers. You said something about that's what, is that what the marketplace wants? Like, I'm trying to understand. I, I don't think I understood the connection there. Maybe you can give us some insight. Yeah. I think the, at least back then, I mean, things have kind of changed over the last year and a half is that, ex, I mean, in a way, experiential shopping, it was still very important in the retail space. And that's kind of the trend that was going on. So, you know, over the last, uh, you know, maybe the, the last three years, we saw a lot of uh, weird types of stores or exper- experiential places opening up in malls to try to attract more people. This was a similar concept. So essentially, we would just scrape the pad, take out the big box, rebuild it with like, uh, you know, if it's in a warm weather place, outdoor shopping area with restaurants and stores right next to each other to really try to increase that experiential aspect of it, really draw people into the space. And then, you know, we can obviously charge a little bit higher on a smaller space rent than we could for a large, uh, for a big box. Oh, so, okay. Okay. That makes sense. And, and it's, I think it's important that you give us the, the, how the business model works as well. Cause I, I'm not even familiar with how, how are these large, um, give us some insight. Cause we obviously understand commercial real estate and it has a lot of different aspects and a lot of yeah. different ways you can mold it. So this is a great opportunity for us to learn through you for, for a second here. So the way these big retail uh, companies like Sears, do they, now I'm curious, maybe Walmart's a little different, right? Uh-huh. But does Sears rent out for like a 10 year lease to a big, maybe owner developer, do they buy it out? Right? Like what do they do typically? So there's actually a lot of interesting stuff there. Um, you know, Sears in the beginning was buying a lot of their stores. They had about, uh, I think close to like 1500 owned assets uh, mm. across the country. So they had a lot of real, real estate space that they had bought back in the fifties, the sixties. So I was reading these ancient contracts, trying to figure things out. 
which was kind of cool. And is that um, paid off or is that still on the note? Or on the Oh, note? yeah, it's paid off. Yeah. All the assets were, were free and clear. I mean, Sears during that entire time was doing fantastic. So they didn't really have to worry about, oh. you know, financing this stuff. Yeah. There was few uh, later refinancing on it to, you know, raise additional capital, but, uh, and, you know, other things that were going on within the company. But anyway, um, yeah, so that was one way they would do it. Uh, we did have a lot of leased assets as well that were typically, you know, 10-year terms with two or three renewal options for 10 years. So there were some leased properties that Sears had had for 30 or 40 years at the time. So that was typically the way they approached it back then. And when we talk about a lot of other big box retailers like Walmart or Costco, or uh, those, are, those are the two I'm the most familiar with, uh, what they do typically is they do land leases. So mm. they'll, they'll do a ground lease for, uh, I don't know, a 50 year or 40 year term, 30 year, whatever it may be. And we'll just provide a scraped uh, site. We'll clear everything off and they'll build their own property. Uh, so that's the way they typically do it. So they are essentially constructing things the way they want. Um, that's, that is the other model that's kind of in the, the, the big box space. And I think that's a lot more popular now than it was uh, when Sears was doing a lot of its leases for the stores it has. Well, is there, can you give us insight on the advantages, disadvantages? Like when you're, you're so, are you, are you then renting the lot and you're yeah. building what you own? Like, can you help us kind of connect those dots? Cause that might be not as, you know, kind of typical for the, you know, the investor, maybe in the multifamily or something like that's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I think the main advantage is it just comes down to cost per square foot uh, for mm. rent. So, I mean, if you're renting a site that I don't have to prep or I have a site that I just need to clear, I just need to demolish things. My cost to actually do that is a lot lower. So I can rent it to you for a lot less. If I need to build the entire store for you, if I need to provide tenant allowance, so I give you money to finish the inside or um, you know, some other support in that way, it's going to cost me a lot more and your rent per square foot is going to be a lot higher. So a lot of these big box stores, they operate on a sales per square foot model. So when they're looking at that, if their sales per square foot is X number and they're able to maintain a lower uh, rent per square foot or, you know, in a sense, rent per the entire lot, mm -hmm. their, their margin is going to be a lot higher uh, from that standpoint. So that's kind of the advantage to doing it in that model. And then, yeah, they build their own store. I mean, they do have that asset in a sense, even though it's a leased property, but now that they own their store and then it's on a ground lease, they could actually release that store in the future if they wanted to. So if you have a Holy 50 year contract on a ground lease, um, you know, you, your, your store goes out of business in 20 years or, you know, you need to close that store in 20 years. You can release that property now. Wow. Interesting. And then, and then there's the ground, the, I guess with that, is that when you say we, is that the developers? Yeah. Yeah. The developers. Oh, okay. I, I, I throw we a lot. In, no, no, no. It's uh, interesting. So I just, no, I just want to make sure we're clear. Cause it's very kind of a unique uh, business model. So is the, is the developer out of the picture at that point, or is there still some kind of title on that land. Like, I'm just trying to understand that. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, in Sears sense, yeah. uh, you know, being a developer for Sears, Sears still owns the land and they're just getting payments for the land. Um, but in some instances we would actually resell it. So, I mean, if we're talking about, uh, you know, just one deal, I don't remember exactly where it was, but you know, the, the cap rate on a Costco is pretty good. It's a, I think back when we were trading, it was like, five percent uh mm -hmm. which is a pretty good cap rate and you know costco is playing 
a million dollars a year in a ground lease. So a 5% cap on a million dollars in uh, NOI mm. is pretty good. So you can actually increase the asset value for really not that much cost when it comes to actually developing the property. And then in some instances, we would sell it off. Some instances, we would keep the revenue. But yeah, just redeveloping the assets that way is kind of the way we would approach it. Okay. Wow. That's, thank you for that. Cause I think that that's, that, that gives you a lot of good context. Now I want to transition into something that was key. Cause you probably saw this right before your eyes. And I had another gentleman who we actually, you probably know, I think Scott Myers, you may have heard no, of him. self-storage guy, maybe um, actually his episode just launched, but I think he was one of the guys who talked about distribution center, just kind of understanding what's happening right now. Like as e-commerce is growing, you, you got to ask yourself the question where were all these things being manufactured? right that's where the light bulb goes up right so talk to talk to us about that transition of like where you kind of saw the big aha because i want you to i know you touched on it a bit but i think kind of level set and give us that insight of like do you remember what what you when you started seeing that transition and can you kind of walk us through you remember what you what you were experiencing that was like kind of like oh snap it's happening for sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I talked about a few of the examples before when we saw, you know, Amazon doing some deals, but in general, there was demand for a lot of other spaces uh, from other big companies like Prologis, which is one of the largest uh, industrial REITs out there and industrial developers. They had a lot of interest in some of our larger sites to turn into, uh, you know, fulfillment centers or, uh, you know, in de- industrial warehouse space that they could rent out to whoever. So, um, you know, all of that was kind of going on and kind of playing, you know, making me learn more. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it just kind of happened that at the same time, we learned about the opportunity to start selling products on Amazon. And we learned what these Amazon fulfillment centers were doing is that they weren't just selling products that Amazon owned, they were selling other people's products through those uh, fulfillment centers. And that's kind of where the light bulb, you know, switched. It was like, Oh, so like we could put our own products in there if we wanted to and start selling them. And from there, I was just constantly consuming content, trying to figure out how to do that. And then obviously going to the manufacturing piece, which is uh, primarily done in Asia or, you know, Mexico where I am or a lot of other countries that are out there. Um, And yeah, you're just importing products to the U.S., putting them in that Amazon, you know, fulfillment center that they they repurposed a firm, uh, former mall for, and yeah, it's just crazy circle of how you get all the way there. And that, that light bulb moment of like, oh, I could put my products there and I could, you know, take advantage of that and start reaching a much larger audience on Amazon than I could by ever opening a store. So yeah, I mean, that, that was really the breakthrough. All right. Tell us about the ABCs. Cause I'm aware of it, right. You know, uh, how to e-commerce business as well. We were drop shipping, uh, for like eight, we were, we were doing it at, um, pretty large scale on my, my business partners actually sold their Amazon business. Uh, so I do have some context when it comes to that. Um, so why don't you tell us the ABCs? Cause everyone sees the Amazon boxes, you know, they see it, they tr- like, it's unbelievable. Now it's like same name shipping and the whole nine yards. So help us connect the dots of like, what's really happening behind and tell us about the business model for those of us who are not familiar, because we hear Amazon really. Like, yeah. Yeah. M- M- Amazon makes sense. But Where's that coming from? And tell us kind of like at a thousand foot level overview of how the business model works. For sure. I mean, there's definitely a few different ways to approach it. I think if you're looking at it from the most simple aspect, it's just being a retailer. So you're buying other companies' goods and you're selling them on Amazon. You know, you're literally just buying whatever you can. You could go into Walmart and buy stuff and turn around and sell it on Amazon if you wanted to. That is just being a retailer. The next step beyond that 
is becoming an actual brand owner, building your own brand within the platform or, or just within e-commerce in general. And that's much more complex. I mean, you're talking about developing your own, uh, your own branding, possibly getting intellectual property, you know, finding a manufacturer, uh, shipping products to the US, fi figuring out how to warehouse them, how to fulfill orders. That's a much more complex process. And I think what the Amazon platform helps you do is it helps simplify a lot of aspects of that. With Amazon FBA, you can, you can have your inventory warehoused. They will fulfill your orders for you. They will handle the customer service. The people are already going there, so you don't need to drive traffic. Well, I mean, you still do, but you don't need to drive as much traffic to your listing because people are already shopping on Amazon. So when we think about what aspects Amazon's able to handle for you, when your focus really shifts to you know building your brand, which I mean, the branding itself is a one-time thing. Beyond that, it's just marketing. Yep. You know, finding your manufacturers, which is you know product research, you know getting samples, uh, you know finding people you trust. That's that's an important one. And then actually getting the product to the U.S. And, and that's using a freight forwarder. So when we talk about what your responsibilities really become as the, the, the business owner, it's really marketing and product source. There are, there are specialists that can handle everything else. And Amazon's one of those specialists that handles a lot of the process for you. So if we're talking about something that seems so complex to actually build this all out. It's really not when you, you realize you just need to focus on certain aspects and just learn how these other pieces help you actually build the brand. So I think that's an overview of, you know, the ABCs and how it works and, and how you go from start building a brand to, you know, actually selling on Amazon. But if we're going to get into details, I mean, we could go real deep oh, <laughs> into everything that, along the way. Now we're tapping into your world and you're bringing us into your, your, your ecosystem. But no, <laughs> I think it's good to give people some context to see like where you kind of saw the opportunity. And so tell me about your transition. Cause I'm, I'm familiar and at a very smaller scale, like I said, like, I mean, you're bringing back memories where I remember it was like Chinese new year and we had like <laughs> me and my team and we, there was, the, um, I guess, yeah, they were, they were just not going to fulfill our orders. So man, we had like eight SKUs and I was just in the living room, man, like just pumping them out. It was the worst. It was, it was just unbelievable. So I remember like the war stories of kind of doing it at a very much smaller scale, but in your case, uh, what was that first product look like? Cause then it sounds like now are, are you doing white, you know, was it white label? Was it your own? Like, Tell us about that kind of process. And then I uh, would love to kind of hear also some, some best practice for someone who's looking to kind of even get into the space uh, in, at this time and age. So tell us about your experience. We'll be right back. Sure. So what we started with uh, was an art supply brand. We saw a really good opportunity there and we, we found a good manufacturer. We did a lot of research. We found a lot of different categories actually to start. And we found one product within the art supply. So once we knew the product we wanted, we literally just went on, I think it was 99designs.com, got a designer to come up with a logo for us, which we thought was the coolest thing ever and like absolutely loved it. Um, and then from there, it was just getting products and testing them. So, you know, the first thing is, how do you find these manufacturers? Uh, if you're going to manufacture in China, Alibaba is probably the best way to do it. Um, Alibaba does have other countries in there as well, but China is like the one they're known for. Uh, there's other websites called thompson.net where you can find manufacturers in the U.S. as well as other countries. So finding the manufacturers and kind of, you know, having that first conversation with them, uh, getting to know them a little bit better and see what they're capable of is that, is that process. And I mean, it, it sounds like you have, you're going to have no idea what you're talking about, but, you know, 
there's really just a few things you need to kind of get across is that, you know, you're a business owner that you want this product, you're interested in the pricing, you want to know what the minimum order quantities are, you want to uh, learn about their lead times, about their shipping times, whatever they can do for you, how they recommend shipping it, if they have freight forwarder contacts, all of these different things. And just answering questions, asking questions like that is going to give you so much more information into the entire process. So for us, you know, we found the manufacturer we wanted to work with. We asked them for all these questions. What was the pricing? You know, what were the minimum order quantities? Uh, we asked them for a sample. So they actually sent us a sample from China to uh, our apartment where I was living in Connecticut. And uh, from there, we just kind of tested the product, tried to figure out what we thought of it. We ended up liking it. We ended up going on and placing an order with them. So I think that first order was for about uh, 300 units, which I think came out to about uh, $1,500. So it wasn't a crazy amount of money we had to invest in, but it was significant at the time because I, you know, I was like 20, 25, I think at the time. So that was, you know, didn't have that much money laying around, but anyways. Um, and then, yeah, the, the, the big thing is just kind of getting the money to them. So Alibaba is great for that because you can use trade assurance. You can use their platform to actually escrow the money. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll put the money in, 70% will go to the manufacturer in their escrow. You still will hold on to the other 30% until the product's actually completed and it's sent to you. So that's kind of moving through those first processes of you know, finding the product, talking to them, asking the questions, seeing if the quality is good when they send you the sample and then kind of figuring out how to get that product actually manufactured with them or if there's a way for you to work and actually pay them. Um, so that's where I would start off and say that's the first thing you kind of need to figure out. Yeah, no, and I love what you said about that because as you're going through that, you're literally learning along the way as well. And you're also interviewing manufacturers and you get a chance to, oh, this is the language. What did they mean by that? Oh, let me look. Oh, I'm, oh minimum quantity. Okay, got it. Oh, there's a minimum that I could just get one. Uh, right. So like, I think that's why I really enjoy you being on, on, on our platform is you're being able, you're, you're sharing a process just like any real estate, just like any, any business, you have to go through the process and you have to test, which I love. So as far as uh, giving us, um, and one, one of the things I do want to ask you is I want, I want to relate this, this, this product that you talked about. Uh-huh. Um, I know that, you know, from, from experience that there's, there's certain sizes that will also determine how much, you know, the fulfillment center is charged by us, et cetera. Would you give someone advice to start with something that's a little bit smaller, not oversized, or, you know, what are kind of your insights on that? Because I think what we're talking about is these distribution centers, they're storages. And, you know, if you take up more space, you'll probably have to pay more. Am I on the right track here? Or is that um, yeah, I think relevant. Yeah, exactly. You're completely on the right track. I mean, there are two different approaches of this and like two different schools on kind of what the good, good way to do it is. Um, when we're talking about the actual fees, though, when you are selling a product that weighs less than two pounds on Amazon, and I think, think the longest dimension of the product isn't longer than 18 inches, that's, that means your fees are going to be pretty low. Once you get above that, your fees really start increasing. Now, at the same time, when we're thinking about where is the most uh, competition, it's usually in those products because, you know, it doesn't take up, there's not a lot of storage fees. Um, They're not going to lose a lot of uh, money on the fees to actually send it. So that's one way to look at it. Another great way to look at it though, is on larger items, there's less competition. So if you're selling a larger item, I mean, depending on how large it is, you might not be able to actually store it at Amazon. 
your fees are going to be higher. That's 100% true. But because of that, your price is also going to be higher. So it may actually work out for you in the long run to actually have a bigger product. Or, I mean, for me, the ideal situation is having that small product at a high price point because now your fees are going to be low, your, sh- your, uh, your, your shipping is going to be low, all of that's going to be pretty cheap. You have a high price point, you should have a good margin. Um, but at the same time, like high price point, big product, that can also be a great place to get into because there isn't as much competition, like I said. Absolutely. So transitioning to where you guys are uh, today, uh, obviously you built a very interesting company. You guys have done as practitioners, which I love. That's really important. What are you doing now, you know, as a, at AMZ advisors, what is it that you're doing? Are you being advisors? Are you coaching people? Like how, how does that work? I want to kind of hear, uh, and then maybe kind of tell us as well. I want to hear some of your students kind of wins and also some of your own as well to give us some context of what led you to down the path. Sure. So uh, the bulk of our business is mainly working with companies that are doing between one to $10 million online or that are a good enough size and are serious about investing into the Amazon platform. You know, for us, we can get the best results for companies that are within that or that are ready to go, ready to give us the advertising dollars to really make it happen. And then we can get the results for them. And what we do is we do everything from helping them get their inventory into Amazon creating the SEO and the graphic design for their product listing. So everything looks good, helping them develop their, their general marketing strategy, and then actually managing the advertising and helping them get the results and getting more sales. Um, when it comes to coaching, things like that, we don't do that as much. Uh, we do have a, a course where we kind of help people learn a lot of the fundamentals about selling on Amazon that, you know, some people that really aren't there yet, we kind of push them to that. But um, when it comes to actually, you know, the day-to-day work we're doing, it's really working hand in hand with these clients to make sure that they're, they're getting the best results on Amazon. And one good example of this is uh, one client that I still work with very closely. Uh, She joined us um, 2018. I think she's still with us. And we took her literally from doing uh, $30,000 a month on the Amazon platform. So, you know, $300,000 a year to doing, $3 $3 million a year on Amazon two years later. So, yeah. you know, it's a process. It's continually testing. It's figuring out the new things, you know, seeing what works and it's going to happen over time. Once you have a process to actually, you know, scale your advertising, get the best out of your, your advertising budget and really grow. I mean, that's just one example. We've helped other larger brands that are, you know, multinational that maybe not aren't on Amazon come onto the platform and go from zero to $600,000 a month in sales in, you know, four to five months. So there's different ways to really approach it depending on the company uh, and depending on how serious you are to investing in the Amazon platform. Yeah, sure. And, and if I'm sitting with you there, Mike, in a meeting and I'm like, hey, like, I really want to work with your guys. What's the unique selling uh, proposition that you're really bringing to to the table that you're saying, hey, man, this is what we do. This is what we're good at. Just so we give a, get an understanding of maybe who folks who might be able to work out with you guys in the future. What, how does that look like? Yeah, well, I mean, I think uh, some of our results probably speak for themselves. I mean, half a billion dollars in sales on Amazon has only been done by a couple other companies. Wow. Um but I mean, when we're talking about the way we do things, you know, you're working hand in hand with one of our consultants, you know, they're there for you 24 uh, seven with, you, know, you can call them, email them with any questions you have. And we kind of help you from that uh, standpoint of it. And we really take a holistic approach on how Amazon fits within your entire e-commerce strategy mm. because Amazon is just a sales channel. 
you know, there's Walmart, there's social media, there's all these other sales channels. And if you're focused so much on just growing Amazon to make money, that's never really going to be the long-term result you want. I mean, Amazon, that's great. Like you're going to make money, but the margin is going to be a lot lower than it will be on other sales channels. So we focus on helping our clients leverage the Amazon platform to really start growing outside of Amazon and, and building that brand awareness, getting uh, more loyal customers, and then trying to convert them on their own website or building an email list or whatever it may be to help them grow as an e-commerce brand over time. Ah, uh, this is a digital assets Thursday series right there. So we have a, a, a segment where we literally just talk about digital assets and I'm so glad you brought it all together because um, I just had one of our SEO guys uh, who ended up coming on our show, uh, shout out to Chris and uh, CEO Ardor. And we were talking about how, you know, you know, real estate, it's kind of digital, digital asset. And when you look, when you talk about your site, for example, that's, you know, a lot of people are, you know, leveraging social media platforms, which is great, but you're, you're building your home on somebody else's land. Uh, and, and so I love they brought full circle because it, it really resonated with them. Like, oh, dang, that's so true. Right. Like we're, we're renting, right. Like we're renting on Facebook, Instagram, like all those things, but it's great. It's a channel and you should utilize and you should leverage it, but it sounds like you're even, you're, you're tapping into the entire ecosystem, supply chain management, like the entire overview of the business. And you're just saying, Hey, we know this platform very well, and we can help you kind of scale through that. Did I get that right? Or am I a little bit off there? No, I think that's, that's pretty accurate. I mean, Amazon's our main focus. We do do work Mm -hmm. on other platforms as well, but when it comes to just where people are going to shop and the biggest opportunity right now for pretty much every brand, it's on Amazon. I mean, 70% of all online searches products are happening on Amazon. So if your product's not there, your brand's not there. I mean, just, you're, you're losing out. Mm, well said, well said. So just put to put it all together, time, tying it back to the real estate, what are your, what, and I don't know if your, your eyes are still are kind of tapped in because obviously right now you got your full, full plate with AMZ advisors, which is fascinating. Uh, it's amazing what you guys are doing. Now, as far as fulfillment centers, right? Distribution centers, like are, are, how does how is that looking like right now? Is Amazon building more or is Amazon renting from other maybe investors who own uh, distribution centers? Like I'm just trying to maybe understand the landscape of what we might be in here for tuning into this 2021 March 1st. Like what's the what's it looking like on the back end? This is a back end question. We don't even get to see that. So I'm, I'm, I'm counting on you, man. Give us the juice. What's happening? Are you are you still in the loop with that or is that? I'm definitely not as in touch as I used to be, but if we're talking about the amount of fulfillment centers that Amazon's opening um, on a month to month basis, you know, they're opening about five uh, everywhere in the U S. So, I mean, if we're talking, that's about 60 a year that they're opening Um, primarily, at least the way they were doing it was through acquisitions. So they were either buying raw land or, you know, buying distribution centers and then repurposing them. Uh, I think that's still pretty much the case. Uh, I don't really think they lease a lot of their assets. That's interesting. Buying straight cash. Uh, cash cows. <laughs> hey, man, it ain't tricking if you got it. That's what's <laughs> up, man. Look, this was such a great insight, Mike. And I I loved how this this is my passion. Like, I mean, you know, business, real estate. I'm kind of a selfish host at this point, but I hope that and i know it's going to serve a lot of our listeners because a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs and they love real estate so i think it gives a kind of an insight as well into what's happening on the back end 
Uh, but I guess if someone's really listening to this and it really resonated, like where can they find out more about what you are doing with your team, my man? The best way is to, well, either check out our website, aimsadvisors.com, or if anyone has any questions about Amazon, about e-commerce, about real estate, I'm always glad to talk. Mike at aimsadvisors.com is my email address, and you can send any questions you have there. We certainly will. If you're driving, keep your hands on the wheel. You already know we will have that in the show notes. But before you leave, Mike, I got to ask you, man, you're doing a lot of interesting stuff. We talked about this off, <laughs> off the air. Yeah. Uh, what's next for you, man? What are you, what are you going to buy Amazon, man? What's next? <laughs> what's man, happening, bro? What, what's, what's, what's happening? What's next for you, man? You've obviously had a lot of a great success, which is so refreshing to see and very inspiring. I love that seeing uh, young entrepreneurs. I'm giving you the young man. You got, you got, you guys got to see this guy, man. He's, he's looking fresh. He's looking like a million bucks. If you're driving, you got to tune into this episode live, <laughs> even with the COVID haircut, but man, you're doing well. What is next for you and your partners or even for yourself? Do you see yourself maybe investing? Do you see, you know, what is next? What's next for the company? What are your thoughts? So, I mean, there's a lot of things that we got going on uh, as we should be. Uh, You know, we still sell products online. So we're still building our own brands, uh, kind of looking at at what we're going to do there. Um, You know, one hot trend right now in the e-commerce space is, uh, you know, brand aggregators or roll-ups of all these Mm -hmm. e-commerce brands. So there's a lot of money right now in that space. So we've, you know, talked about trying to sell some brands, possibly even try to find a, uh, you know, money partner on acquiring a lot of other brands and kind of yeah. pick your own aggregator. Um, Can you talk about what, what's an ag- brand aggregator? Because I, I think people really need to tap into this real quick, man. You yeah. just, how are you going to give a gem right before we close the show? My God, you open right, this man. door for this one. Yeah, and it's too good. <laughs> Tell us real quick. Give us a real quick overview, a, a brand aggregator. What is that? So if you want to learn more about it, obviously look at Thrasio, Thras.io is their website. But what they do is they essentially purchase other Amazon FBA businesses. So if you're building your own brand, you can sell to a company like a brand aggregator if they like your sales or whatever it may be. I don't know their entire process if they underwrite the deal right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, you can get money for your brand and the multiples right now are pretty crazy on it. So Lots of money in there. Thrasio has, I think, a $2 billion valuation as an aggregator. So, uh, yeah, lots of interesting stuff going on there. Yeah, for, for all my real estate syndicators listening to this, it's essentially, yeah, it's kind of like syndicating, you know, because in a way, like I know there's a guy, I think you might know him, Kevin something in the space. They're doing like, they're starting to like, we'll, we'll create an Amazon store for you. You give us the capital and their entire plan is to do a roll up. Like it's getting crazy, man, but it's really yeah. interesting from a business level. Now you're tapping into something I'm so interested about, which is the roll up strategy, but we'll save that for another time because that's real business. That's real wealth. And that's real, like, that's some real powerful stuff, man. Like if you guys got to look at, look into roll up, roll up strategies when you're, when people are buying businesses, it's genius. Um, and, and maybe we can leave that for another time. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, no, it sounds good. I'm always glad to talk, come back and talk more if I can. He said it. We got him for a second one. All right. Anyways, man, look, <laughs> well, it'll be a pleasure to have you back into the lab. Uh, guys, make sure we'll have everything in the show notes to go ahead and find out more about what Mike and AMZ advisors are doing. We're going to keep tabs on these guys because it seems like they always, they're able to see what's around the corner. And we love that early <laughs> adopters. So on that note, we appreciate you stepping into the lab, lab Mike. And just like that, we are out. If you're a real estate professional, a real estate agent, a real estate investor, a lender, a multifamily syndicator, 
a contractor, you name it, and you're looking to grow your online presence, but you have no idea how to get started or simply don't have the time, at Invested Talent, we help real estate professionals extend their current business to social media. Why is this important? Without this, you wouldn't be listening to this show and your own host, Ruben Kanya, and his team would not have done deals they've done today. As a matter of fact, social media has helped us keep this show together, which now exceeds a billion dollars worth of real estate from our guests collectively. That's right. Our reputation, opportunities, partnerships, and most importantly, real estate transactions were started directly from social media. If you're a real estate professional and you lack an existence on a media platform, Invested Talent can help. Simply go to investedtalent.com forward slash social media and make sure you click the get in touch button to get in touch with our team. Again, that's investedtalent.com forward slash social media and get in touch with our team. You focus on being the brand and we'll help you build it. Now, if you know anything about the lab, you know that we like to give practical advice. So if you feel that this podcast was of any value to you, please be sure to leave us a review on iTunes by going directly to the podcast app. From the show's page, scroll all the way down and leave us a review. If you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe by clicking the subscribe button and leave us a comment. Lastly, and most importantly, share this episode with a friend you feel will benefit this episode the most. Remember, there's a you and I in build. Let's build, y'all.